Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Bottom of the Bill. This week, we got our homie Jeremy King on, local legends, amazing sax player. It's always fun having our friends on the podcast. It really ends up feeling more like a hang than anything else, which is really what we're going for here. So um, before we get to the episode, though, we just want to encourage you to check out the merch store in the link in the description. If you guys are enjoying what you're hearing, you're liking the show, please subscribe, like, follow, and more than anything, share, share, share. The more people that talk about it, the more the word gets out, the more we grow, the more uh, you know eyes we can get on what's happening here in our local scene and help all the musicians out here. So without further ado, here's Jeremy King. This is Bottom of the Bill. <laughs> Jeremy King. Welcome to Bottom of the Bill, man. It's been a minute. How have you been? Man, it's uh, I've been good, man. And I uh, appreciate y'all having me on. Yeah, man. I'm stoked to finally uh, make this happen for sure. There's been a lot that's happened over the last like year. I want to just try and like help everybody in the scene out and like try and like make this a platform for like everybody now. You know, oh, they're sure. trying to have like fucking all these like rules and like just being more open to, to different things. So I'm stoked to have you here and do yeah, this man. thing, man. What's been uh, What's been going on? Ah, uh, man, this uh, right now it's uh, more of you know just just working and and family and stuff like that. Um, I got my uh, my older son Ethan, who is a, a senior at Douglas Anderson. He's graduating tomorrow, and um, he's been a, a a joy to have uh, coming out on my my Tuesday jam every week for the last couple of years. And getting to spend time with my kid, you know, with music. And so, like, it, this is a, a very big day for him tomorrow. And he's got his, you know, the rehearsal for it and everything today. So I'm stoked to, to see my boy get his diploma tomorrow from Douglas Anderson. And he just got a full ride to, uh, to Jacksonville University. And he's going to be studying uh, jazz performance and uh, commercial music. And, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, under uh, John Ricci, awesome sax player and uh, and professor there, and one of the other directors there, uh, Chris Creswell, and I mean, and there's a lot of home, our homies that are over there at JU, like y'all know Stan Piper. Oh know? yeah. So I want, uh, didn't you have Stan on here? Once Not yet. Before? No, I man, you got to have Stan on here. Stan's been around here doing some big things for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm really stoked for my kid, and you know, proud dad, and all that good stuff. Um, I've also been doing a little bit of, a uh, little bit of traveling in Florida, but not like anything crazy, but, um, I've been playing with a blues artist by the name of David Julia, yeah. which you've, you know him from some of the South Florida Back scene from when day. he was a kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I've known him since he's about 15. I've, I've done, um, the, uh, spring of the blues festival with him, uh, three times, uh, we did a, a, a blues cruise pre-party down in uh, Fort Lauderdale this past January. I've done a lot of blues society gigs for him in the villages and a couple of gigs here and there when I'm available. And uh, that's been a lot of fun, like getting to play in the horn section because he's got a trumpet player by the name of Jim Boehm playing with him. And Jim is a also a traveling musician. He's a trumpet player f uh, from Buffalo, New York. And he and I met for the first time on a gig 
and we started just trying to get some lines together and then we had a rehearsal where we were actually able to learn some stuff together and piece some stuff together and now it's like our our horn section is starting to get a little tighter especially when we get to play a couple of gigs to sort of refresh yeah. you know the material but that's been a lot of fun like just getting to play something sort of out of what I normally do with my cover band, you know? Yeah, because it's a different thing when you're, when you're like fronting the band, leading the band, and especially as a horn player, because like, you know, me as a guitar player, if I'm fronting a band or backing somebody up, there's a difference in dynamic as far as what my role is in the band, but I can still be a guitar player regardless, right? right? But you as a band leader uh, and the singer of your band, the front person, you're not able to play like horn parts as much, which is a no. whole different style. Yeah, and, it, and and the thing is, it opens me up a little more to like think more like a horn player instead right. of a front man. And, and uh, you know, with, with my cover band, it's like I'm, I am the band leader. I'm the guy giving the cues. I'm the guy that's like, you know, calling the tunes for the most part. Um, I mean, I sing, you know, usually somewhere around 50, you know, to 60% of the material for the most part. But having, you know, my bass player sings a lot and my guitar player sings a little bit, which I've kind of had to pull it out of him after a couple of years yeah. of playing with me. Both of those guys, if I'm having a tough night, it's nice to have other guys singing I can lean on. But I still have to think like a band leader. Plus, I'm working sound for that group, so I'm turning around and messing with the board. I'm fronting the band. So I'm like in the pilot seat and the co-pilot seat, and I'm sort of a passenger on the plane. So right, it's like I'm playing a lot of roles in, in that band, whereas when I go play a gig with David or if I go play like a sideman gig with like Paper City Hustlers or some of the other bands that I you know do sideman work with, I get to just kind of sit back and and let the front man do the work up there and i'm just focusing on horn parts and having a good time and bringing the crowd like i can pump the crowd up a little bit just by you know being somebody off to the side to sort of enhance what the front man is doing and uh with david's band uh me and the trumpet the trumpet guy is a that's a that's a kind of a fun guy to, to work with because he's animated uh, he's a little bit older than me. I think he's like 51, but he's animated. He's super like, you know, trying to goof off and stuff off. So it brings it's somebody to kind of bounce off of with that too. And uh, when he and I play together, we've had a lot of feedback from uh, a lot of David's regular fans. They'll come up and be like, man, you guys just bring out a lot of the fun in the group. Like, you know, we'll we'll bust David's chops, you know, while, <laughs> like we, it's, if you're not having fun on stage, like, you know, I feel like it's, it's not worth being up there, you know? It's like, yeah. Well, part of it is also having fun off the stage, like what you're saying, you know, busting absolutely. chops and like rehearsals got to like, you know, rehearsals loosen, up, loosen you know? up, you know, obviously like you, you need to work and you need to put in the time and, you know, focus on things. But like, it's also fun to have, some time to just kind of like shoot the shit and yeah exactly and busting chops is like part like that's the part, part that's of, part of man. the camaraderie yeah. you know and and my son ethan uh i was talking about earlier he just y'all y'all know uh strings brewery here in jacksonville yeah um my my wife is really good friends with the owner and we all know ben ben the the chef over there that yep. uh frequents a lot of the jams and a lot of the shows around here when ethan first got a job there he's just started working there about uh he's been about two months now and um the one thing they do in in the kitchen when he works there is bust each other's chops. Yeah, and he loves that. 
because he knows that's part of being in a brotherhood or a sisterhood or a fellowship of sorts. Like that's because busting each other's chops, that's how you get to know each other too. Yeah, you get totally. to know what, you know, what everybody has, what their little quirks are and, you what know, the boundaries are, right. You know, and you sort and everybody is very receptive, you know, and I've got nothing but good feedback from Ben. So I guess Ethan's fitting right in. Bro, I saw, um, before I left for the Virgin Cruises, I went to go see Theo Katzman and I saw Ethan there yeah. and I didn't uh, recognize him at first. Yeah. He's, he's tall now. It is like every time I see out. him. Yeah. Every time I see him, cause it's always like, it's always like spurts of time that I go without seeing right. like all you guys, you know what I mean? So I, I hadn't seen him for a minute and I see him and he looks familiar and then he's like kind of waiting for me to say something. And I was like, say, Hey man, I was like, Oh, you're fucking Jeremy's kid. <laughs> Damn it, bro. <laughs> and, oh, man, he loves him some Theo Katzman. He was so excited to be able to go to that show. He's um, just so fucking good. Man. He is, man. Like, his his voice is just, gosh, man. It's it's creamy, but it can also be, like, super just rigid and punchy and He's just, got, like, all of these things. Yeah, man. His texture. range. His texture. Yes. That's the texture. It's the texture. It's, yeah. and, and that's the thing. That's what... I think that's what it is about artists that bring it out to me is like the distinction in their voice. Like if it's a really good voice that I enjoy hearing, but that I can immediately recognize, it's yeah. not like a cookie cutter voice of sorts, you know? And, yeah. and Theo's one of those guys, you know, it's like you hear him sing, you're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> He's got total control over it too. You know, he was doing some like impromptu kind of, thing with his merch guy like, i won't give away too much of his show but right, like right. he does his thing and like he sings it while he's like making a joke out of it and it's like <laughs> and it's like and it's acapella and you're just like awesome. oh you're so because that's an artist man like, like it's one thing to like perform but then it's another thing to like to create a fucking like show and you know? and he's also the other thing that that you brought up like going to his merch guy and doing like that's almost like breaking that third wall yeah you know when you break that third wall with the audience they're they're with you now yeah and just talking about that gives me goosebumps because you once you get the audience like on on board then you can almost do whatever you want as an artist then totally. it's like the the creativity can can really really come out but it's just breaking that third wall to get them with you and since theo is very i mean he's he's very established obviously so like people that come to see him want him to break the third wall yeah you totally. know so they're waiting for they're that waiting moment for it, you yeah. know and i think every artist should figure out some way to break the third wall and sometimes that's hard for me because sometimes i get caught up in my own thoughts and insecurities when i'm on stage and like i'm looking at the backs of people's heads at the bar and i'm going they don't like anything we're doing. Like, yeah. you know, zero applause after, you know, you got four people in the bar and nobody's really caring. You're just like, ah, Well, it's, it's hard, man, when, when you know, it, it's, it's easier to be confident when you know that you're playing to a sold-out room of people that mm. bought a ticket to see you. Right. But, like, when you feel, a lot of the times when you're playing in restaurants and bars, like, we're, we feel like we're, like we're more of a hindrance mm. to their experience. Well, what one of my one of my mentors put it uh, put it best. Uh, he said that these people didn't come here expecting to be an audience. Yeah, exactly. And it's like that's, I mean, as profound as that sounds, it's, <laughs> it's sadly true. It's sadly true. Yeah. But we were paid to 
make them an audience. It makes you, know, you work against their will a little bit. Well, it makes you have to work for them a little bit harder, you know. And yeah, and sometimes. It, it makes it easy when at some point you you transition from that world to the ticket world and like you're selling tickets because like that audience is there to just give you love. So you can be if you've had to, if you've been playing in bars and restaurants like fighting for their attention the whole time mm -hmm. for you know years grinding it out. Then when you get to that level, you can put on the ultimate performance because it's like I don't even the work is done. Right. You know. All right, guys. This episode's brought to you by. Best Buds CBD store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you. Or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. So at Best Buds CBD store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service. So everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD. Uh, not to mention if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B-POD, you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to Best Buds cbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta A products. Enjoy guys. Most people that have a fan base, you know, the great artists do everything they can to keep that fan base and build it, you know? And then there's the other ones that sort of get caught up in their own like uh, demons and stuff. And sure. they, they don't realize what they're doing. You know, like, the, <laughs> like what's that What's that one wide receiver used to play for the Bucks? Uh, Antonio Brown. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you show him that TikTok you showed me, Chris. I might have to, I might oh, have to, pull, no. I might have to pull that there's one There's a TikTok on Antonio Brown. It you know, he's like an arena football owner now. But really, like that, that funny thing where I guess he wasn't getting the ball and as much as he he wanted to at, at uh in Tampa so he like ripped off his shirt and stuff and then he like exited you know with no shirt on and just like you know oh like that God. was one of the weirdest most bizarre like football memory I mean I know you guys don't much follow football but oh. I I'm a I'm a huge uh NFL and college football fan you can tell by your shirt Growing up in Baton Rouge, you know, I was around the a lot of the music and culture from New Orleans. So, you know, I've, I'm a Saints fan, of course. So, like, I was watching them growing up, and that was hard, man. Like, watching people go to games with bags over their heads because the team was so bad. Like, we would get – I remember we got to the playoffs one time. I think I was probably 12, 11, still young, you know. We finally get to the playoffs, and we're – you know, good team that year, and we lose the first game of the playoffs, and it's just like we're never gonna get over that hump. We like, had all this like hype and stuff. Whenever we would get, I think we had uh, Jimmy Johnson for a year as our coach, and then that was like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, yeah. gave up all of our good players to get like one great player, and then that sort of like, and the, that player ended up being great, but it. It just ended up being a total bust. Then Hurricane Katrina in the in the mid two thousands, and how that just like knocked the city even further back. And I was, you know, in Jacksonville at the time, so I had family that was affected by that. Uh, not only the actual storm, but the aftermath of right. the storm of like people migrating up to try to like find a place to make it seem like they have a normal life and they just lost everything. And some churches were like making these 
um, like havens for people to like stay in. So you don't know who's trying to look for, you know, a place to live or a place to stay or whatever. So you could have anybody staying at that church and, you know, and you could, you know, people was getting their houses broken into and their cars broken into in nice neighborhoods because the church was, you know, giving its place for people to stay and people are struggling and people don't have anything and they're just trying to get whatever they can get. And, and I just remember like the team and the stadium, like the stadium needed repairs from the storm and the team had to, you know, relocate for practices and, you know, couldn't play any home games yet. And then we had that first home game after all the storm and everything. And they, you know, re got, got the stadium all, back up and everything and then we got this player drew breeze and this coach sean payton and wow all of a sudden the team was was like brought to life and we ended up going to that super bowl at the end of I think it was 2008 beginning of 2009 and i just remember like that off season and just like knowing somewhere in my heart and in my mind like the saints are going to get to the super bowl this year I just have that feeling. I kept telling my brother who still lives in Baton Rouge, my brother, Chris Phillips. And I was like, man, I feel like the saints are going to, they're going to do it this year. And he said, man, quit talking like that, man. You're going to jinx them. <laughs> just like, no, man, I do this. It's, I have this feeling like I literally had this feeling it was going to happen. And it did. And I mean, <laughs> the saints, the saints retired, uh, they retired uh, Kurt Warner in the playoffs, have beat that old man to death. And then they retired Brett Favre, beat that old man to death, and almost retired Peyton Manning, but he had to have some kind of like neck surgery or something after that. But uh, they had to beat him to win the whole thing uh, when he was with the Colts. And that I just remember that whole season to just being magical because I knew that that's what that city was going to need to like, just get back you know because right. it was so much that city lost there's still a lot that that city like needs to be rebuilt there and yeah well um, i've heard from people we have we have, I have some friends out there that are that are musicians uh that we've played with a few times and just people that i've worked with over the years from there that have told me that they'd never fully recovered after that like even the scene like has taken oh a yeah. massive hit ever since mm -hmm. you know Oh, yeah, and, and there's a lot of good bands that have sort of helped rebuild the city, like, you know, the Dirty Dozen guys and, yeah. uh, um, you know, a Galactic. I mean, Galactic. They, they bought Tipitina's yeah. and, like, really turned that place out. Like, it, it, you know. The Re the Revivalists are out of the Revivalists. New Orleans, too, and they're they've good for them for reaching the level they've reached because they really broke... Like Galactic is huge too, in my right. opinion. But they've they've kind of made it. They've made it in the sense of like where a jam band makes it, you know. Mm -hmm. But like the Revivalists have like broken that barrier oh, to the pop world. radio pop. Yeah, you know? and and I think a lot of that has to do with David Shaw's voice. Yeah, like, of course, uh, and his look, the whole vibe. Yeah, that guy's a pop star. You know? He absolutely is. But he's his solo stuff is is great. It's really too. good. Yeah, uh, my wife really got got into him after. Um, she got to see the revivalists. I think they opened or some, there was something where they opened for, or I think it was Roosevelt Collier opened for them. And then they played and Roosevelt played with them. Oh, hell yeah. She had never seen Roosevelt Collier and she hit me. I was at a gig and she's like, you know, a guy named Roosevelt Collier plays like a steel guitar. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, he just played with the revivalists and that guy is amazing. Yeah. I'm just like, well. 
um, he's definitely a homie in this in the scene here. Like he used to play with the Lee Boys, and you know he's, but he's you know been uh, sort of a prominent musician in the scene of just playing with whoever. Like I think he's he did a tour with Jelly Roll recently. Still, he's still with him. Oh yeah. So yeah, there you go. I mean that guy is uh, he's one of the calls, man. So oh, yeah. And I remember I was playing uh, um, I was playing a gig somewhere in Mandarin, um, and Sean Taunton and Shane were going to be playing with Rosie at. Um, the Blue Jay, mm -hmm. and, and this was after that revivalist show with Rosie. Uh, Sean Taunt hits me up. I'm literally like packing up the last few things, you know. And he's like, "Hey, man, you want to come and sit in with Roosevelt Collier?" <laughs> yeah, we're at. He's like, "We're up at Blue Jay. Just come and come and hang." It's me and me and Shane, and we're backing up. Uh, we're backing up Roosevelt, and I was like, "Oh, that that sounds cool." So then I hit my wife up to tell her that this was happening. And she's like, can I come? And can I bring Ethan? And it's like, uh, let me find out. So I hit Sean up. I'm like, okay. I told my wife about it. And she was you know, was trying to get her to come up. I said, is it okay if Ethan comes in? Because Ethan was a little young. You know, he was, I think, 15, 14 or 15. And he's like, let me make sure with Kara, you know, the owner. And, and Kara said, it's cool as long as, you know, he he's with his mom so it's like yeah it's fine yeah so we went up there and i got there and i see mr underdahl over there chris underdahl is running sound and i'm just like this is all right so this is like a you know family sort of event here and oh, yeah. i just don't know i just don't know rosie like personally but i've been around him many times i've seen him play you know at least, you know, a half a dozen times around, you know, at festivals and stuff like that. And then I got to sit in and it was just like, it, everything was sort of improvised, but Rosie sort of had the arrangements he, you know, of what he wanted to do. And because Taunton and, and Platten were both just like, you know, they're, they're seasoned pros, they they just jumped right on it. And, yeah, Shane's played with Rosie for years. Yeah, so, I mean, it, and uh, absolutely, I was going to say that, too, because I know Shane's played with Rosie in some other projects as yeah. well. But, you know, Taunton is just, he's an animal. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, I mean, just, he's just <laughs> no doubt that he's, like, one of the best drummers. In town, oh, absolutely. You know? He's one of the first calls in, in this town, and there's, and I mean, there's a lot to be said for that. Like, he's put in a lot of work to get there, and, and Shane's put in years and years of, like, I mean, grinding. Yeah. And he's one of the heaviest grinding guys. And for them to just call me and include me, like, I mean, that was that was just cool because, I mean, I've, I've known Shane for shoot, probably 22 years, uh, and I've known Taunton well over a decade, you know, probably at least 12 or 13 years. And both of those, both of those guys, you know, whether I played gigs with them or, you know, seen them at a jam or or, uh, you know, going to their gig to hang out or they pop into my gig and hang out. Like, it's all just been like, we've been brothers, you know, this for this entire time. And one cool thing that Shane has brought to the table that this town has needed since I moved here was the community over competition concept. Oh, yeah. And he's preached that for a long time, at least as long as I've known him. Westbrook was a big proponent of that too. Yes, I think both and in the town, I think this scene is really going to miss Westbrook a lot. Yeah, uh, I hope they're that, feeling it for sure. Yeah, he's he's always sort of been a positive influence on the town. When he came here, he was a he was a whirlwind. Like he wanted to work, he wanted to get his name out there, and he did all the the right things to get on the scene. And I remember he was playing with uh, Paul Ivy uh, when they had the Ivy West band. Yep, that's the first time I ever like saw or met Westbrook. 
And I just remember how cool he was about like, you know, once he found out that I, you know, was a player and that I knew everyone in the band, he was like, oh man, you should most definitely sit in. And then, you know, we heard each other play and it was like, yeah, we're brothers like already, yeah. you know. And that's that's the kind of concept that some parts of the scene here when I first moved here didn't quite grasp. And it's like they didn't want to let someone sit in or have an opportunity to to get up and play. Uh, even, at, even in an open mic settings, they would vibe out you know, certain players because they feel they were either a threat to their gig or they didn't want them to outshine them or in some degree. And it's like, I, I feel like that's, that's just a bogus kind of reality that some of those guys have in their head. And the ones that really allowed me to get out there and play, like when I first, uh, when I first came off of my first, my, my first deployment when I was in the military, I was in a band on that ship. And the, the guy that put the band together was uh, a very well-known uh, or knew a lot of players on the scene here because he spent time stationed in Jacksonville while he'd been in. And he was almost retired um, whenever I met him. He was like about to retire. But he told me a couple of people to just sort of, you know, go and call and maybe, you know, go to their gig here and go talk to them and tell them, hey, tell them that I sent you, you know. So it would be like... Uh, I would drop his name and and oh you know you know him oh oh yeah man you could you could sit in you know uh, Mr. Natural I think was the first band uh, Greg Cherico um, I think Jimmy Graves was in that band at the time and y'all all know Bruce Royal oh yeah uh, Bruce Royal was in that band and Bruce was just sweetest kind-hearted you know guy and I would show up to sit in and I would usually get to sit in a couple of songs with them and they usually had a sax player that was already there but I would you know, I would get my opportunity to play, you know, and I remember I showed up another night and there was a different band there. And then I talked to them and they were like younger guys, like kids, uh, and they're a blues band. And they were like, yeah, man, you, 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 yeah, we, you play saxophone. Well, we don't have a sax player. Come on, get up and play. And it was totally welcoming, you know? And then I met, uh, another group that was like a lot of older guys that I still kind of keep in touch with and they were open to let me play. And then that was how I was able to just, you know, get the stage experience. So when I go up there and I would feel like I would eat shit on something, you know, like, oh man, I didn't know the changes on that real well or that solo was, you know, shit, you know, I would go, all right, well, I'm going to go home and check this tune out and I'm going to work on it. You know what I mean? And then the next time I come out, I'm not going to eat shit. <laughs> right. So that, I think the stage experience is what made it easier for me to get better on the scene. It, maybe it's different for other people, like more other people like to be, you know, more polished and, and stuff like that. And I was still very raw, but I had so much practice time when I was on the ship. Cause I mean, there's, you can't go anywhere. Right. You're stuck on a Island of metal. Right. You know, with about 5,000 plus people and, you know, there's not a whole lot of places to go practice, but you'd find these little nooks and crannies. And, you know, sometimes people would just like to hear the sound of the saxophone and I, they would be like, yeah, man, you can practice outside my shop. It's no problem. I enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. I'd be out there practicing and just trying to get better and then go to my little band practice with the group. And we had a cool horn section and it was a large ensemble. And for being just a bunch of 
Navy guy, random Navy guys, that band was tight. Yeah. That was a tight band, but we rehearsed, you know, because we had nothing else to do. Like, what do you know, what are you gonna do? Just go to your rack and go to bed every night? Like, right. no, you're you go do something to like take the edge off, you know. It's not like we can go to the bar and have a drink because can't drink alcohol on the ship. There was just no escape, and I felt like having a band on the ship was a nice escape. But it also Connecting with uh, the, the guy, his, his name was Bert Chimay. Um, connecting with him on the ship was what connected me with bands here. And and I remember, like, after I started connecting on the scene and just starting to get to know, you know, na names, shaking hands, uh, meeting people, another cat I met was Jack Corcoran. Yeah. Which I've already had Dylan Adams on here, but y'all should probably try to get Jack Yeah, I want to get Jack on too, yeah. Um, Jack's been on this scene longer than most, and he's always been a focal point in just about every band he's ever been in. Yeah. And he has a style to his playing oh, that's yeah. like his. Every time I hear him play, I'm just like, gosh, man, that tone. Yeah. That, that sound. Like, Jack is a, another distinct sounding guitar player, and he was one of those welcoming people for me on the scene when I moved here. I remember going to seeing him playing at Ragtime when the Freebird was open, which is now Surfer. He would play in a couple of different bands there. And he was always sort of a leadership role in the band of some some kind. And whether it, I mean, he, he doesn't sing or anything like that, but you can definitely feel his leadership presence in every group I've ever seen him with. Yeah, people are keeping their eyes on him, you know, and his the way he plays. He's he's like you say he's got a unique voice on the instrument. Mm. He's got this it, he's got this way of like playing the styles that those guys play, which is like a lot of you know blues and southern rock and mm. and some soul and R and B stuff. And he plays it all so authentically. It's, it's, it's his though. He, exactly, it's, it's his. It's like he like, doesn't sound like he's copying anybody I've else. I've never heard thing. him sound like somebody else when he plays. It's like that's Jack Corcoran. Exactly. <laughs> um, but he was one of those welcome welcome people. I remember just oh, there is one band he he played with called Slim Goody, and I was I was like clean cut. Navy still, you know, uh, Dennis Marin, he uh, plays with Mofro now, mm -hmm. trumpet player. He was there, and there was another trumpet player. I, I can't remember his name, but him, that trumpet player, his brother was playing drums. I think his brother's name was John. And uh, Carl, um, what's his name? Carl Davis, singer. Steve Miller, Stephen Mills, but Steve Miller on, on bass. And they were doing like this, like, sort of R&B, uh, swampy kind of bluesy stuff like just soul wrenched drenched just i mean it was so it was so wholesome and they would let me sit in with the horns and i would just kind of pick up what they were doing and like dennis was always really cool with like sort of directing where things would go and then dennis told me he was in a band called mr beam and the stuff essentials and i remember that band adonis boyd was a singer um but uh, that band was just a funk, like whirlwind, man. They uh, they played at Lynch's back then, but um, I went to go check them out, and horns were like doing dance routines. Him and Van Battle, ba Van Battle on trombone. That's another cat that used to be on the scene around here for a while. They had such cool choreography worked out, and they were playing stuff that 
really nobody else was doing and they were playing a lot of funk a lot of like just good wholesome funk soul hip-hop infused it was just good stuff and people were going to see them and it's funny because it's like a lot of the people that sort of rotated in that band are now in mofro <laughs> right right so you know the cream rises to the top as they say right um but dennis has been with mofro for a long time and i uh I remember probably maybe 14 or 15 years ago, he was in town and he told me, I ran into him somewhere and he, he gave me his number and he was like, man, if you ever need a trumpet player on a gig, man, hit me up, you know, cause I'm, I'm going to be in town for, you know, a few weeks and just guilty pleasure. I had enough budget on a gig to, to hire him as a, as a third horn and uh, I had my buddy Alex Pendix, who's Navy now, you know, military now. Mm -hmm. um, and he was on the gig too. And, and we hired Dennis. And man, you want to talk about elevate your horn section because Dennis will play the parts that you, you know, you show him or you want him to play. But if you really want him to like be creative and come up with horn parts on the fly that are just hip. <laughs> and yeah, like bring that guy in because he'll, he'll make your horn section sound great yeah. even if he if you can get him to arrange your parts too even in the studio if you want to pay him to come in and like do he i'm sure he can arrange with the best of them and he has a certain um it's a it's a discipline where he doesn't overplay and you know it's it's but man he has so much in his bag um, and he's such a good guy too. Like I, I like working with him and hanging out. I don't get to see him as much as I used to because he's you know on the road. But like, what a cool guy that guy is, man. Yeah. But hiring him just as a guilty pleasure was like. <laughs> well, we're 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 lucky here in Jacksonville to have a lot of great players that are welcoming and and just bro cool people. When I first moved here, that was something that I noticed and. You know, I have, I have to give a lot of credit to you and to Westbrook and, you know, uh, Shane Platt and Sean Taunton. And even Jack, and you know. Jack, totally, yeah, man, because that was one of those things where it was like. I think I think I was the one that told you to yeah, go, you go check out their jam. And I said, go to Jack and drop my you name. Did, and that's what got me on on the jam that night was because I dropped your name. Because at first I was like, hey, man, I'm a, I'm a new guitar player in town, like. I'd love to jam with you guys. He was like, uh, a little standoffish. Right. I was like, Jer uh, you know, I'm a friend of Jeremy King's. He told me to come and talk to you. He was like, oh, you play with you played with Jeremy? I was like, yeah. He was like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll work it out. <laughs> I was like, cool. <laughs> and uh, he's a homie, cause, man. Because like, you know, you got because like, and and that's and the, the standoffish thing is not to not to make Jack sound as somebody who's standoffish. Look, but when you're running a jam, <laughs> yeah. and you got some random dude that you don't know coming up to you, tell you that happens you, a lot. It happens every time. Yeah, and it's like, and they you don't come. know if they're good exactly. until they play. Right? Exactly, and you know the the standard at that jam with the with the band that they had, and just the the people that were rolling through there constantly, it was like they were trying to keep a certain standard. So when I came up, he was just like, it's not that he even wrote me off. It was just like kind of like, all right, man, well we'll see. And right. then I mentioned your name, and then he was like, then he was like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll work it out. And I played like that a, night. Like yeah, that's the thing. Like if you mention cats like Shane or Sean, my name could get you on so far but guys that have been on this scene for so long if they vouch for you 
you know, most of the time that's like a cheat code, you know, yeah. it's like it's, you, you know, you get in there, you drop the name and that's the thing. Like, I don't like name droppers, but if somebody comes in and says, this guy told me to come and talk to you specifically, then I, I mean, cause when Chris Underdahl first showed up to my jam session, I knew he was young. I knew he was green, but he was his firm handshake, his eagerness to meet you and talk to you and then he said my guitar teacher told me that i needed to come to this jam and come and play more and this and that and i was like who's your guitar teacher and he says james hogan and i was like enough said yeah <laughs> enough said like that's your guitar teacher you got a good one and he told you to come here even though he he was at the wrong jam. James told him to go to another jam. But he ended up at my jam, and the rest was history there because yeah. his underdog got, I think he got his wings at my jam along with a lot of the other jams that, you know, the same guys, Westbrook, Shane. Yeah, you know, but it was specifically it was yours. Your jam, Yeah, I mean, really. like, I was, I was there for, I probably didn't miss a Tuesday for about a year. Oh, it, I, yeah. You know what I mean? It and the like, times you would miss is because you would go on vacation to go yeah. visit your family in North Carolina yeah, or I'd something. Yeah, I'd be out you know? of town. Or something. But like when I was in school, that was just like the stomping grounds. Then you would, you would bring other students that you were, you were, you know, working with. Like, I mean, Gene, who's not here right now, but like Gene's worked with you guys in the podcast. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and Gene's turned out to be one of the, one of the best sound engineers. And I mean, just a tech guy from hell man just yeah, like he, he's not here to brag on himself but he was doing the main stage video all this weekend at jazz fest like he's, oh, I, I know. he's 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 been I, bumped up the chain quite yeah, nicely I, I you know he's a he's an avl guy now and you know he's got his big boy pants on and oh, yeah. I, I you know i'm i'm happy for that guy man oh, because yeah. i remember when he was just coming out to the jam to hang and you know it, before he even got the internship when he was uh, able to go to um, New Orleans, New Orleans, yeah, like that, that was cool, man. Wow, that studio was amazing. Mm. But he knew his way around that place, man. Oh yeah, like that that dude is he's the real deal, you yeah. know. And and it's so funny, like underdogs, the real deals as well. And just remembering like him coming on the scene as being green, but like driven. And when you have the drive, man, like you reek of the drive a little bit. Yeah. You can tell when someone has just got the drive. I want to be this. Yeah. I want to do this. Like this is my ultimate goal is to play music and I want to do, you know, all of it. I want to, I always want to just throw me in, put me in coach, you know, yeah. you just know yeah. when somebody has that drive. So I, I mean, naturally I took him under my wing, you know, Every time he would come out, it's just like, all right, I got to teach these kids, you know, like him, like little lessons. You know, I can't just throw all of it on them at once because it'll overwhelm them and then they might be turned off from wanting to do this. Yeah. So like the little things of when not to play, the little things of like, hey, Chris, you know, there's like four guitar players on stage. Maybe you should <laughs> not play the same part as those two guys are playing, but you I know, just little things fun. like, I mean, and that's the thing, things he needed to learn because nobody's going to tell him that. Right. But mm -hmm. I would hint those little things back when we'd be in, you know, out back and, you know, partaking in whatever, you know. We I can't would, remember. Yeah, I can't remember either. But <laughs> we would be back there just, just hanging out and talking and shooting the shit. Trading but then I would, I would put, I would put like <laughs> hypothetical situations, but real situations. And I would say like, man, remember that guy that came out the other night and he was just like, 
you know, playing the same part as that other guitar player was playing, and it was just like, kind of just clash, and it's like, yeah, usually if you got, like, more than, like, two guitar players on stage, you know, one guy could just lay out, and it'd be fine, Yeah, you know? Or just not even be on stage, and then underdogs just, you just see him process it, you know? It's like, uh, yeah, that's actually smart. And then you'd see him apply that, later and then he was playing through a little practice amp like this you know and you could barely hear that thing i'd put a mic on it and try to crank it and it's just like he uh i just like man you know having a nice amp is you know if you want to do this for a living you got to get a decent amp you know and he he went through a few amps but he finally <laughs> started looking at decent nice amps wait a minute through. you have an amp now um well i'm about to <laughs> i'm about to pull the trigger on a nice one finally all right well yeah. What was that deluxe you had at your house? Yeah, I got a deluxe now. I'm a bro. That I'm deluxe the, sound sounded pretty good. I'm in the yeah. club. I got an amp. Do you, ha you really have a deluxe now? Yeah, he do have a deluxe. I, got that, a deluxe. I, I think you told me that actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I forgot. Need that deluxe upgrade. is sweet, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right, because I was pissed because I ended up selling my deluxe for a fraction of what it was worth. Oh, <laughs> because no, I, needed, no, I got a blues <laughs> deluxe. You got you. I had a deluxe reverb. Yep. Yeah. Different Let's deluxe. See. And that's the thing, like Fender amps are. I mean. I'm not much of a guitar guy, but uh, in my experience, like Fender amps are good blues amps. Yeah, yeah, they just they work real. They're, they work real nice. They're, they're yeah, they're just they're good all around amplifiers. You can do a lot with them, and then you know they take they respond to pedals real well and all that stuff. But yeah, man, there's there's a lot to be said about going to those jams. You know, that was something that was very hard for me down south was finding a place that would let me come in and work things out, you know. Get out of here, kid. You're bothering me. Yeah, well, it was like <laughs> I was I got lucky when I joined with Rock and Jake. Well, I got lucky in a, in a few different ways cuz I met this agent down there named Jim Nestor. Shout out. That guy was a big part of me getting to do stuff. And he just kind of like would like bring me into these bars where all these like these blues guys were playing some of them now who are very successful like Albert Castilla, JP Soares. Yeah. You know, so he like back when these guys were, were on like the bar circuit playing to like empty rooms type shit, he would Jim was representing them and he'd bring me out and be like, "Hey man, I got this kid, let him play." Yeah. And then and I didn't have to really do it. He was just like, "Let let him play." And they'd be like, "All right, all right." And they'd let me up and I would just get my ass handed to me. <laughs> and then but, it, but that stage time was very important. Was important for you to learn even yeah. though you might have botched their little performance that one night a little bit, but like those guys were tight enough to make hold it together and just totally. Like, but you knew when when you're a young player, like you get up there, like and you think you're hot shit, you know, and then you get up there and you kind of eat it a little bit. It sort of it, you're either going to do one of two things: you're not going to fix it and think you're fine, or you're going to hear those mistakes and you're going to go man, I got some work to do, you know? And yeah. most of the time, those old cats are going to be super cool and be like, yeah, man, you sounded good, kid, you know? And then the ones that really care are going to come up and, man, there's a one little part you did this right here. Try this. Try this, right. You know? And there and like, and like that was like the Broward Palm Beach scene, and that, that was cool, but the Miami scene was a little harder because you had UM. And <laughs> and don't get me wrong, like, like I, there's still people that I talk to from that time that, mm -hmm. that I'm still like cool with. And there were some musicians in Miami that, that gave me a lot of grace that, that helped me out and stuff right. like that. But then, but there was so much of it that was so like, well, if you can't hang, then don't even worry about it type, type attitude. And it's just like, that, that doesn't do a lot 
to help cultivate a scene. In fact, it kind of it 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 makes younger guys not want to come out and do their thing, which doesn't which means that they end up going elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And Miami's so famous for that, where you have like these some of the best musicians in the world just popping out of there, and then they're just like, all right, well, I'm out. I'm going to New York, going to L.A., and mm-hmm. I'm and that's it. You know, and Miami could be a great hub for music. You know, if if it was more open to cultivating a scene like that. And I think Jacksonville has sort of been always kind of been that that spot that nobody knows about has a very strong musician like residence here. Totally. Um, and a lot of that is because of places like UNF um, and even Douglas Anderson School of the Arts. Yeah, you totally. know, guys that have come out of DA and didn't go to college still end up being great musicians. And it's a lot because the community based. I know that you know before certain guys got here that there was it wasn't so much of a community from what you're saying, but like that whatever is existing now and has been here for the last decade, as as I understand it. Um, is that community kind of thing like? Oh, you're new to town. Come and sit in and jam. Or you're 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 in school. You're learning shit. What do you know? Come and sit in and play. And that's the thing. Like I I don't want to like misconstrue it. Like there wasn't a sense of community when I first moved here. There was there were a lot of guys that let me play. You know, or or let me have the opportunity, or let other people, other other musicians new to the area, have those opportunities. But there were a lot that would be sort of exclusive and not let like you know they'd be holding a jam session and i would go and then they would say well this is like a pro jam you know we're only letting like you know certain players get up and then i might get to get up for like mustang sally or some crap and i'm just like okay you know it's like do i really want to get up and play mustang sally okay well that's the only song you're gonna let me play all right i mean it's it's something you know and I don't know. I, I I was just one of those that I I was well driven. I wanted to get out there, but I knew that I had work to do. Yeah. But I just needed that stage time so I could see what work I needed to do. And and the ones that really, like I said, the ones that really opened the stage up to me, uh, like Ken Mango and and Deb Rust of High Tide and TC uh, Tommy Carmichael TC and the Tornadoes. Like that was a little three piece band that was playing little dives at the beach and. High Tide was playing like uh, some of the more popular spots at the beach. Mr. Natural, you know, Greg Cherico and Jim, Jimmy Graves and uh, Bruce Royal. And then there was um, the band Thunder and Lightning, which y'all might not know them, but I know y'all know Grant Nielsen. Yeah. Uh, Grant was in that band as the lead singer and harmonica player. The dude could play really good harmonica. Really? Absolutely. Um, he probably doesn't brag about his musical prowess, but he's a super talented guy. But I, I played with them for a little while, and then Chris Poland replaced me when I had to go on my deployment. Then when I got back from my deployment, they had started another band called Magilla, and Chris Poland moved from sax to drums. And then I saw him play drums, and I was just like, dang, I, I think he's maybe a better drummer than a sax player and then i got to hear him play sax again when they started fuse box funk and i was like nah he's just equally equally a badass on both yeah bro and well, then you hear him sing and you're like he sings too chris poland's an alien and then he raps and then you're like okay uh i'm we're done here yeah bro chris poland is an alien. keyboards too like yeah that's a super talented kid i haven't seen him in a long time but i just Everything I've heard him on, whether it be like on Tom uh, Tom Bennett stuff or uh, with John Parker Urban stuff or Top whatever, he's 
he is a super talented, humble kid, man. Yeah, well, he he was one of our early guests in the podcast, and I was talking to him about some stuff, and I w- we, there was one time it was we did one of these uh, rest in peace to Joey Pie. We did one of his um, it, a roundtable improv things at 1904. Always wanted to make one of those. It was it was he we did a couple. I did a couple of those with him, and there was one in particular where it was me, Tom Bennett, and. I think it might have been Chris Poland. And I forget who else was in the band, but that was like the house band. And Tom, I love Tom. What Tom likes to do with these jams is just like make like these intricate like chord progressions and then just like see where everyone's at with it. So there was one, like this one chord progression that he's doing where I start figuring out like, okay, we're like in a, in a Phrygian kind of thing here. Mm-hmm. So... I'm, so Tom gives me a solo and like I do what I do whatever and then I hear Chris Poland take a solo and just doesn't skip a beat just perfectly executed melodic imp- improv solo <laughs> everything's like shredding he's holding back he's playing hard, like melodies it's it's all so perfectly crafted yeah, he- and I was like bro how do you how do you like think about that like why you're playing he's like oh i'm not thinking about it anymore he ain't thinking man (laughs) i'm like he's it's just there it's just like and that's that's the thing like some players that are like that because i sometimes get caught up in my own head when somebody throws like a weird progression at me and i'm just like what am i gonna do with this this isn't like what i'm used to but like guys like him he is just it just easy for him it's in there once you understand plus he's played with tom so much that he probably is used to the uh the mayhem that tom yeah puts on you (laughs) yeah you know and i've played a couple of gigs just you know casual little cover gigs with tom and yeah he he likes he's he's if he was a pitcher he throws a lot of change ups curveballs sliders yeah like he is not a fastball guy yeah you know he is gonna throw you some you know some spitballs or some stupid shit which is fun because a lot of the times you know you get caught up in those jams where every song is like a one four right thing it's all something yeah yeah or like a blues and then it's like okay i know we can all do more than this yeah and tom's just like i don't care he brings a little chaos to it, <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what, and it brings you out of your comfort zone a little bit, yeah. which is good for you because then it might make you play something you didn't think you had in you. Yeah, you that's, know? and that's, that's what, the beauty of that, you know. That's why I enjoy those moments more. Almost, I mean, I definitely enjoy them more, even though it's usually very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> if, if it's supposed it, to be, yeah, that's why. You know what I mean? Like you get like like the, just all too often like you go to a jam and it's like okay what do you want to play well we all know use me right <laughs> okay fine and then it's like do we have to do them and i was like hey can we you want can we play that bill weathers tune i'm just yeah. like please don't say use <sighs> me <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, are you talking about like uh, that other song? Uh, what's that one song that Bill Weathers does? That's not "Use Me." Yeah, <laughs> you know what's that? <laughs> I fucking or like you do like a blues or something, and, it, and it's right. it, it's fine. It, it, it's all fun. I I just like jamming with people. That that's fun. But like, it's cool when you get to into a moment with with people that just like don't care about what the standard is, and they just put they like just pushing the boundary of creativity. Mm-hmm. And you go in there, and it's just like in a jam setting. That's that's what makes a jam a jam. Yeah, is like okay, yeah, we, the songs in two chords, and we're all playing the same two chords. And you'll get those guys that don't really have like the creativity or the, or the thought in their mind to to play something cool with those chords, or maybe like 
give some space in those chords. They just sit there and chunk those two in the entire time. Yeah. And it's like, why can't that guitar player just go ding, ding, yeah, you know, something to kind of be out of the way where it's not just yeah, it's like, and but those are the ones that are that are you you separate as okay that that guy isn't really he probably isn't a pro yeah they don't know yet and he doesn't understand or he never learned yeah and then you got the guys that are like all right we're gonna take these two chords and we're gonna you know and then all of a sudden instead of going to the four they might go to like a you know a sharp five or something or something weird or like hey we're gonna go to the two right here you know and then and like and you'll you see somebody cueing something it's usually the bass player or a chord a chord instrument but somebody has to take some kind of leadership role in a jam session to where you sort of know where everybody's going you know but at the same time if you have if you have the not everybody on stage has the the knowledge and the uh, the capacity of of you know education enough in music to where you just hear things happening and then everybody sort of like goes with what's happening like somebody might just hint at a riff and then all of a sudden you'll hear somebody jump on that riff and then all of a sudden you'll you know the the bass player will be like well that riff sounds kind of like that song and then that song sort of like creeps in and then you know and and i think that's what makes a jam a cool jam where it's just like if you're going to do a two chord jam or a three chord jam you know two chords and three chords in the truth like will will get you far and and you know you know playing gigs you know what i mean in a jam session it's like um if you're not playing something intricate and weird like jazz you know where it's like very complicated and can be very complex and you know you have to have a certain education level to play that if you're playing in a jam session it's like funk or r&b or blues or whatever you know you could you could you know play your 141 stuff and you know have a good time and everybody can have fun but if you can elevate that a little bit like with some cool like you know voice chord voicings having that cat that can just like comp some really cool stuff say if i play something over you know one of the chords in that three chord thing and i play something and you hear a tendency of like another Alt, you know, maybe a substitution of something in that, and where you can invert the chord or something to make what I'm playing sound cool because you have that knowledge, you have that ability, then that makes me sound better, and then that makes the jam more enjoyable. Totally, you know, and having those kind of players, and I think Tom Bennett's one of those guys. Like, oh yeah, he just doesn't go to a lot of jams. You know, he's. You know, Tom, you're a hermit crab, man. Yeah. You're a hermit crab. You get out once in a while, but mostly for gigs and stuff. And yeah. uh, you don't get out to jams very much. And I wish you would. <laughs> he definitely knows how to elevate those scenarios. And I love playing with Tom. I haven't played with him in a long time. But, uh, and man, I don't know if y'all seen that guy's lost some weight. Yeah, man, he looks yeah. great. He looks awesome. I just dude. played with him Wednesday, and he's he's absolutely killing it yes. in all regards. It's beast, awesome. Beast That's mode great. right now. That's yeah. awesome, man. Where'd you play with him on Wednesday? Uh, we played at Underbelly, did this um, Bob Dylan tribute for his birthday, Ooh. and it was me, Sean Thomas, Tom Bennett, Ben Strock, and then Scott, oh. and putting it all together on drums and singing. It was that, quite a band. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like a hell of a lineup quite right Quite a band, man. Wow. 
okay well i missed that yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the thing that's the the thing it's hard to you know there's so much going on around jacks well, these days i play you know? every wednesday so like well, i yeah. yeah wednesday wednesday nights are usually you're for gigs but uh not to mention uh Scott doesn't have social media and you couldn't pick you couldn't find any any other people that are less active than Sean Thomas and Ben Strzok <laughs> on social media so it's like there's virtually no promo for it I'm sure other uh, outside yeah. of the venue and yeah underbelly had a sponsored post so yeah yeah you know, say anything you want they're not gonna see this right <laughs> <laughs> no I I, uh, I I that was not to disparage them I love like those guys all of those guys I just mentioned are some of my closest friends in Jackson oh, they're good friends that's, of mine as well that's why I say that yeah, Sean yeah. Sean Thomas like he'll it's funny because like I'll get a I'll get a message from him on like Facebook Messenger like once every year or two just to be like hey man I hope you're doing good like I you know if you, you ever need me for you know a gig or something or you know if you ever need any like real estate help or anything like that like give me a give me a shout just you know hope you're doing well you know he's always been a good friend you know I used to see him at the Monty's Jam and you know uh, he, he played with Ben for a long time and uh the what do they call it the forty watt or whatever that band Watts Third Watts Third Watts Third Watts yeah, yeah. the forty watt club in Athens Georgia oh <laughs> uh, yeah that's what I was uh, <laughs> but um but yeah uh I mean I just remember seeing Ben more at the jam sessions too like he used to come to the Tuesday Jam more often yeah when it was at Perfect Rack and uh I want to say he's come to the Alibi when it was first started there that's the cool thing about running a jam man a lot of the cats that come through the scene. Like, or they first move here, they'll hear about a, the jam. You know, they'll go on social media and they'll look for keywords and say, you know, what's the open mics? And somebody will drop mine in there, you know, and then the person will show up, you know, and, and then I'll, I'll meet that person. Like, I'm like, I met you, you know, when you first moved here, you came. <laughs> I felt so bad too, because the first time you came to the jam, it was like you were saying about about when Jack Corcoran, you first told him, yeah, I'm a new guitar player in town. <laughs> kind of did the same yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. To but I let you play. Yeah. But I just didn't let you play with the good the, people, the good folks, the good I players. Because I remember, I remember I walked in, it was Chelsea and I, then Sean Taunton walks up and he was like, he's, he was the house drummer at the time. Yeah. And he was like, hey man, uh, you want to play? And I was like, wow, did you just ask me that? Normally I have to come here a few times and wait to, to be acknowledged. But yeah, I'm down, you know? And so... I think was, we put he, you up with like a drummer that this guy named kid named Kyle or something. yeah yes yeah yes I don't even know what happened to that guy yeah <laughs> he was not it, a very good drummer well but. you know he he was trying his best right <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and Sean was like okay cool well you, we, I'm sure we can make that happen you talk to that guy with the hair over there yeah me yeah yeah right and I was like I was like all right so that's why I talked to you and you're like yeah all right man it's kind of like yeah all right man and we'll get you up and then that was it I was like all right got you up and then after we heard you play. I went over to Taunton, and I was like, man, if he comes out next week, man, we got to get him up with the house band. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can't do that to him again. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's... Because we heard you play, and I was like, he's actually a, a really good player, and he just moved here, and we got him up with, with, with the... We got him up with the practice squad. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, <laughs> it's, also, it's also, like, being a professional, you understand what the pecking order is and how it works. So like, and you, you, are, know you were when you, super cool. Like you, you understood that, you know, it's going to take a while. Like you knew that going in. So, but a lot, a lot of players that, you know, the, the ones that have the egos and insecurities, they'll, they get offended. Like they would get mad if you bump them or if you, you know, put them up with something like then they, they would feel like that they're above this or whatever. But you, you just, you came in 
knowing that it was going to take you a while to get on the scene. But like you, you approached it correctly in a way of like, I'm just going to do it, you know, and you got up, you played and you made an impression on me and you made an impression on Taunton. And it was just like, bro, like, yeah, you got to go some check out. And I told you immediately about other jams. Like, yeah, totally. I've, I've always like, you know, don't just come to mind because there's more. You know, yeah, well, you told me about the, about the flies tie jam, which is happening the same night that your jam was, and you were like, you know, if you don't, if if you're staying, because at that time I was staying out by the beach, mm -hmm. and you're like, you know, if you're out there, you should check out this jam too. And then you told me about the Monty's jam, which I ended up running a few years later. <laughs> I ran with you a couple, of yeah, times, a few I times, say, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, and Sean Thomas too. Like yep. uh, you and I'd run it. I think Brian Jenkins and me have run it. Louie and me, Louis. And, you know, that that was a, that that running that jam was like almost like a rite of passage <laughs> yeah like everybody's had like a moment well that jam has a lot like that jam had been happening on the scene before i even moved here yeah like, it's a long um, running jam and it was run by cowboy joe i think for a long time um i think was his name uh but he he used to play in a band and that's why i think i got it messed up he used to play in a band called 40 watt mojo oh okay um and they used to play like you know just covers and stuff but like um really fun little thing but i I just remember when I was out of the Navy and I was like getting out on the scene more and I already kind of knew everybody. People were telling me about it and it was called, you know, it was like, yeah, you got to go to Monty's and they, they have bands on Fridays. And I was like, oh, so I went up there and sat in with the, uh, with you know, whatever band was there. When I got there, I remember Steve Miller, Stephen Mills, Steve Miller was there and I want to say... It was it was a bunch of like players that had been on the scene like for a long time already, and they saw me walk in and they were like, "You're playing with us for our set." I'm just like, "Okay." So I didn't have to sign up. I was already like going on a set with the guys that were up next. I was like, "Oh well, that's that's like a fast track, you know?" Okay. But usually when I go to a jam, I just hang and you know if I get to play, I get to play. If I don't, I don't, you know. But in that case, I. I had already established myself a little bit on the scene and I knew guys there. So I got to play. And after I played, this bartender uh, named Joanne. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace to her. Oh, man. She I love, love that lady, man. And yeah. I miss her so much. She was a shit, man. She was awesome. So she heard me play and she was like, have bands here on Fridays. You, I know you have to be in a band. Like you can't just be singing and playing like that and not be in a band. Like yeah, I got a band uh, called Out of Hand, and I was I was actually coming up here to see if I could, you know, work on getting a gig. And she's like, well, Nikki, you know, the guy that runs the play, he he heard you play while you were playing. Came down for a couple of songs, like so. I know he's he's gonna he's probably gonna want to get some info. So uh, I was like, all right, so. I went and gave him my info and everything. And then after that, I started getting in on Fridays. And man, that place on Fridays would be packed. Like, I mean, slammed. You got the liquor store right there. Right. But like, it would be overflowing into the liquor store because they're so packed in there. And I remember when the Super Bowl came to Jacksonville. And that Friday before the Super Bowl, we were playing at Monty's. You could not walk in there. Yeah, I'll bet. You could not freaking walk in that place. Like, it was so slammed. And I wish that the new owners that took it over would have tried to keep keep that music alive there. But 
And that's what I was telling Bryant when Bryant started his jam at Rain Dogs just recently. Yeah. Um, and oh man, it was like oh, it means that Bryant's not going to be able to come out to my jam anymore. And was well, the Tuesday yeah. nights that they're doing it? Yeah. 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 And they're, um, and I, I mean, I'm stoked for him because he's been out here, you know, hitting this scene really hard for a while, like with LPT and uh, with a lot of really good bands playing out there and. Um, he's just, you know, been trying to just be a working musician, you know, like the rest of us. And as a trombone player that doesn't sing or anything else, hard. it's really hard. And Bryant's been that call, though. He's been that cat. And I was just like, I found out he got the the thing at Rain Dogs. I was like, man, I said, Riverside has needed a jam now for a while. So Since badly. that Monty's jam went away. Like you're gonna reignite that area, and I'm so stoked for Riverside. Yeah, I'm so glad. Like he's got a really good lineup with him too. He's got Mylon. He's, I mean, he's he's got such some, and he's got Angel Garcia, and he's got Justin from my new band Time Wise. Just, he's uh, yeah, real good. Which I haven't met Justin yet. I need to meet that cat. Justin's I think I don't think player. I've met him yet. Justin slamming man, you'll you'll enjoy it. And so he's got a great lineup there. He's got another he's got another jam going. And uh, I remember somebody uh, it was an, a really good player on the scene. Kind of gave him some shit about it, like, "Man, no, we got Tuesday, you know, Tuesday Jam over at uh, Blue Jay, you know." And like, I now I'm gonna be torn. I'm gonna be, you know, like a high quality over here, you know. And it's like I don't want to take away from that. And I'm just like, and I jumped in. Was like, bro, like he was giving Bryant shit for it. Just like, man, nah. There's plenty of room for that here, and Riverside needs, needs this. it, man. I've been like, like honestly, I've, I haven't made I haven't made it out to that jam yet because for the longest time we were doing t like podcasts on Tuesday I nights. Remember, yeah. And so now that I'm not, I'm not even really living in Riverside anymore. But like, I would love to go check it out. Um, but Riverside is like this amazing. For those who don't know, like Riverside is like this amazing little like progressive kind of nook in Jacksonville. Five points. Five points like on one, King Street oh, in yeah. Avondale and like Murray Hill. Murray Hill. It's like it's all Murray Hill is popping, popping right, right now, now with all with tons of they music the over there. Out snug. It's got uh and underdogs hosting an every other Monday jam at the perfect old my rack. old spot perfect rack yep. that used to host my Tuesday. Have, that place is now like grown in its own right as well. Like they're they're holding a lot of the Jaguars like radio uh radio uh shows and stuff stuff there for like after post game stuff um and they're having guys like like ex football players like Leon Searcy and ex Dallas Cowboys coach Campo and and they'll have some of the radio slappies on there with them like you know uh I think usually it's um, either uh, Ryan Hacker, one of those, like some of the, like, you know, Rick Ballou or some of those guys that have, that are like radio show uh, hosts. And they'll be at live at Perfect Rack doing those, like, after the game. They I think they do, like, the fifth quarter there, as they call oh, it. That's cool. Um, but, like, Perfect Rack is becoming a pretty big hub here in Jacksonville. And, and they've always sort of been that one hidden gem. When we were going there, Taunton and I used to go in there and, like, you know, get food and you know, have a couple of beers, but now now they're a full liquor bar. Right. They've uh, they've kind of rearranged a lot of things in there and like made the place look really really nice. And yeah. their food 
is off the chain. Yeah, they got good food now too. Mm-hmm. And that, but just like that whole area, and they got Buckner's Beer Hall, which is doing the jazz nights on Wednesdays. Oh, and then yeah, I heard yeah, about I th- that. I think the Flamingo place is doing some music too. I think so yeah. And then there's another spot right on that strip there that's doing some stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have J- you have Jack Mock's place, Mock Shop. Mock the, Shop. They yep. they do some cool little showcase stuff there from time to time, that's and also cool. just a great music store in general. Uh, they've sponsored some of our events, um, and then but it's like. Riverside, so that Murray Hill, for again, for those who don't know, is a neighborhood, you know, just outside Riverside. Mm-hmm. Riverside is this neighborhood that just so badly screams, "We love music," but there's no fucking music there. And it's I'll tell wild. you, like, I mean, Rain it, Dogs, it used to it. be, it used to have, like, I mean, not only my jam, Monty's jam, of course, but there used to be right there in Five Points, they used to have a jam there um, at this place called the Starlight. Mm. And this was like in the you know early and mid two thousands. And my current guitar player, in Fat Cactus, Eric Heron, him and uh, and Patrick Evan McMillan, who everyone knows as Pat, you know, singer Patrick, he used to uh, sing backup for Mariah Carey way back in the day, um, and used to have a band in in Jacksonville called Aerial Tribe. That I mean, original music uh, all over that uh, with Jesse Crouch and. Uh, and Jared May on bass, and uh, and y'all know Ryan Leroy. Ryan Leroy did some time in that band as well. That whole Riverside area was, it just, it, it needs that. It yeah. needs music. It needs the, because that whole vibe is there. It exists. There's, I mean, if you don't have music in Riverside, then it's going to be some kind of void there. It needs it, you yeah. know, and when that starlight jam was going on man you want to talk about some badass players coming even kenny hamilton would run through there sometimes and uh, host that jam when pat couldn't make it and i remember one of the times i i attended the jam and kenny was there i think it was like maybe 2008 2007 around that time kenny was running the jam and he was you know he started singing uh what's going on with marvin gay and he sang like, you know, a couple verses, chorus, you know, and then played some sax and then blew me and my sax player, uh, Alex, blew our, blew our minds because we were just like, man, this dude, holy crap, you know. And Eric was there and um, I believe a Josh Green on, on drums. Like it was a great lineup. Um, and then I talked to Kenny out uh, like right after they come off of the set. I walked up to him and I was like, Kenny, it's like, Man, Jeremy King, nice to meet you, man. It's like, how high can you get up in the altissimo range on the saxophone? The altissimo range, is like the, is the ra- the high scale range above, like where the saxophone naturally goes to. You know, you have to start, you know, kind of, you know, closing the reed off a little bit to get those high notes out. And he looks at me and goes, chromatically. <laughs> Me and Alex just like looked at each other and was just like, okay, he's about to blow our minds yeah. again, you know. <laughs> and then he starts going up the chromatic scale and the autismo ring. And then he got to a certain point and it was just like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord, man. That's a, then he runs that jazz jam at, at Blue Jay now. Yeah. And he also taught my son Ethan private lessons for about six years. And when COVID happened, it started getting sort of difficult to, um, you know, he, we had to start doing them virtually and things like that. And then because Ethan got a part-time job and everything got so busy with DA, we, you know, the lessons just kind of like 
sort of stopped and you know it was it's been a while since ethan's had a lesson with him but um all of that time that kenny spent with ethan helped him develop you know into the musician that he is now which is you know a very versatile musician um and man ethan played like it's like some like nine or ten different instruments this year at da damn um several different types of saxophones all from like soprano all the way down to the bass sax not even like lower than the berry right because da finally got a bass saxophone this year and when they got it <laughs> i went to go pick him up from his rehearsal when they got it i'm waiting out in my car to, you know for ethan to come out you know and he sends me a text he's like dad come into the band room i was like gotta be something cool walk in there just humongous saxophone like larger than than the biggest saxophone i've ever seen in my life it was a bass like i could fit my head in the bell it was so huge yeah and you want to talk about the just the lowest like i mean you know meanest sounding horn and um he was he was going to be playing it on a piece with the uh wind symphony and with the with the school and he was going to be playing it with this saxophone choir that they put together with all the saxophones from like Sapronino all the way down to bass. And he, of course, he's playing the bass. Um, and I just, it's like, DA is one of those schools. It's like, there's a standard there. And when you hear those kids play and you see the level that they're playing and then you see like, the level of uh, mus musicianship as well as the instrumentation that is like put forth to some of these kids like bass sax really in high school yeah you know ethan ended up playing contra bass clarinet contra alto clarinet bass clarinet clarinet a little bit of flute barry sax tenor sax alto sax he played for the for the musical that they put on a DA, um, what was that? Uh, the chorus line and Chicago the musical, like he played in the pit. Um, this last year they did Chicago the musical, and he played, I think nine different instruments on that musical. He had to it was something like some wow amount of instruments, and uh, so he had to play out of the of a woodwind book. So it was like an entire woodwind section book. But DA had the talent within their school to have people that double on multiple instruments to be able to only have, you know, a small ensemble in the pit to cover it without having to hire a bunch of people outside of the school to do it. And this is, I mean, this is college level musicals, you know, but he's done a couple of musicals with them. So he has some of that experience under his belt. So if those gigs ever pop up, like with players, you know, or uh, you know, players by the sea, or any of those, uh, or Alhambra, or something like that, and they need have a need, like he's got that he's experience. Ready to go, yeah. I didn't have that experience in high school. Like, totally, yeah. What you yeah. know? Da just has that that standard, you know. Of course, all the negativity that's going with the D, with Da with some of the teachers that have you know gotten in trouble with. Uh, um, you know, sexual um, advances towards students and stuff like that. One guy that was like the vocal director there, and he just recently got got accused of all that stuff. But all that stuff has been kind of happening over the years, and all this stuff. 
Yeah, the negative stuff there is just like with any school. With yeah, anything. that's not that's not because it. Yeah. I don't want to take a, let that take away from what the standard of excellence in the art at the school, like what it represents. Like, I mean, these kids played Carnegie Hall, man. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, no, that's, it's like it's the stand. I mean, that has zero to do with with what the what the. But the, that's where a lot of people are with that. Like some people when they shame. when they talk about DA, that's what that's what comes up, and it's like, yeah, but like, I I don't want that to take away from what what actually the good things that come from that school you yeah know? my school is um, a fucking shithole and we had that same problem there too so it's just like it, just, it happens man it happens. man look my 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 theater teacher when i was in high school is now a convicted sexual predator so it, it exists everywhere man yeah totally you know? and i just don't want that to be what you know people think about when they think about douglas anderson school of the arts there's like don zentz and and uh, ted schistel were two of you know shining shining moments of those two band directors being in my my kid's life like i mean if it wasn't for don zentz my kid wouldn't have been able to go to dallas and play for the for jen he wouldn't have been able to meet all of these big name jazz people that he's met he wasn't he wouldn't have got to play with uh with Marcus Printup when he went to Dallas, you know, um, he wouldn't have got to meet Jeff Coffin when he went down to Jen in Orlando this past year. He wouldn't have got to see Victor Wooten and Jeff Coffin play live with like the cream of the crop cats that were down there. Right. He wouldn't have got to play with Ernie Watts, you know, multiple multiple times. Like these are these are opportunities that he wouldn't have got if he would have been at a regular school, totally. regular high school, um, Carnegie Hall, like. Day. that's huge man. there's that's there's like, musicians that go their whole lives and whole careers wishing they could play that place and never get to i mean the the, the vast majority of them <laughs> will never get that experience and he you know? got that experience in high school yeah you know what i mean like it's amazing and that's what i'm trying to say is like there's certain schools like that that have a standard of excellence and i mean gosh man they've they, they he's won multiple awards with like the ensembles he's played with you know uh the basically bassy thing you know they they've been up like right up at the top of of being considered for like downbeat awards and stuff like that like it's they're always at the top everywhere they go every every um festival they go to or performance they that or competition or whatever they're always at the top somewhere you know within the top three or whatever you know yeah um and Don Zentz being, uh, he's now a, um, an inductee for the Jacksonville Jazz Festival. He, he got it last year. And that's my son's jazz band director there. Um, he's also a sax player. So, like, you know, him pushing my kid, you know, as a saxophone player helped my kid get better as well, you know? Right. But, yeah, I'm uh, I'm all about, like, you know my kids man i i brag on my kids sometimes more than i talk about my own career <laughs> i mean it's not but bro, i mean that's 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 a good parent man you know what i mean i you know i, I try i try to do right by by them you know i got my other son that i haven't talked much about like that kid's a brain he's smart man he's uh, he's in the ace program at fletcher he plays football you know he's very academic kind of kind of a kid didn't really pursue music uh we we try to get him to you know to try it and he loves music like that kid listens to a lot of different stuff and um and he listens to a lot of things in a very intellectual way like 
he's such a nerd, man. Like he watches anime and like I remember when he was in middle school and he started watching anime and he started liking the theme songs from the anime. Like he can't understand a word of anything in the songs, but like he'd be singing along. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like hilarious. But but he would but he listens to like, you know, uh Kendrick Lamar and uh Eminem and um, you know, he'll but he'll surprise you and listen to like some Stevie Wonder, some uh some Zapp and Roger from like the nineties, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh he's he's a well rounded uh when it comes to listening to music and he's he's got a very uh um uh I can't really think of the word, but like multiple different tastes in music. Like he's he's open to whatever, you know, if it's good. Uh it took him a bit to get into country, but he's got like uh uh, um, the the kicker on his team on his uh, football team they're both in the ace program together so he's he his friend listens to uh, bro country okay like <laughs> and Michael Bublé which is a very odd um, combination but of course you know my kid wanting to be you know somewhat you know all right I got to get into if he you know he listens to it I guess I'll give it a shot. He'd find one or two songs that he likes okay and, you know, and, and put them in his little playlist in his mix, you know, so he can at least have that with his friends, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, he's, um, he's, he actually just finished the spring football season um, and had a minor concussion because last few plays of the game, he got his bell rung. He plays linebacker, so he's putting, he's hitting constantly, you know, um, but played really well uh you know he's he's still learning that position he's he switched to that position recently so like now it's like you know he went from being an o-lineman to being an undersized o-lineman starting because he's better than the guys bigger than him behind him to all of them giving him shit about being undersized and then it's like well maybe you should uh switch to like you know linebacker or something you're a perfect build for that so his junior year he sat you know second string and learned the position and then the of course the o-line went to shit because he wasn't there and the quarterback was getting his ass handed to him some games and he went to my son he says you know what maybe you should come back to the o-line my son's like i literally just cut 20 pounds so i could be right for this position and now you want me to try to come back even more undersized like nah kick rocks buddy you're the one that you and all them told me to get off your o-line here i am off your o-line you're asking me to come back like yeah come on you know yeah so uh he's about to be a senior this coming year so it's exciting man that's wild i got one graduating tomorrow and i got one graduating next year and then that's it got a fucking empty house yeah well they'll probably still be hanging around for a little while (laughs) yeah but at least school's out of the equation yeah a little bit at least high school high school yeah yeah. (laughs) um we gotta we gotta wrap this up some unpopular opinions let's do it So are you familiar with this segment that we do? A little bit. <laughs> okay. Uh, so um, if you got any unpopular opinions, feel free to talk about them. Uh, Tiger King. Okay, hold on. Not, don't go yet. Okay. Not, not a fan. Not, you, don't, you, don't like, <laughs> you don't like Tiger King? Never watched it because everybody was watching it. Bro, it's, like, it's, it's not... 
it's, it's, they said it's in, the the entertainment content was what Underdog tried to sell me on. Yeah, yeah. But and I, I watched a couple of clips here and there of it just because people would post them on social media. I'm just like, I just would not. I would not get into this. It's, it's, it's it, it was it, when I watched it. I found it depressing. One because it came out during COVID, you're and right, I think right. I had COVID at the time. And it was also <laughs> we had been locked down for a little while. Right. Like there was a lot of things. There was a lot of alcohol happening. There was a lot of eating <laughs> dog shit. There was a lot of like Ugh. just mentally and physically. There was a lot of depression happening at right. the time. And I'm watching this movie. And I'm looking at these children that are coming into this situation, essentially. And I'm like, man, these are misguided children <laughs> that just got that just got sucked into this situation. Oh, that could have been anybody. It could have been just that had but a bad whole situation at bro, home or it, whatever. But it reeks so bad of white trash. Oh, I mean, it definitely. Garbage. Okay, let's. It couldn't have been. It wouldn't have been anybody. It would have been a sp certain kind of person. However, <laughs> hey, don't you talk about my heritage like that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, I'm with you. Though. I'm not saying that I did. I, that I, I wouldn't be considered as white trash because i'm a poor white boy but at the same time like i mean okay so the show roseanne was great entertainment and that yeah. was white trash humor i i get it you yeah know? But, but this just this just seems like this was going like a little bit deeper it into was, like it was hard to watch for me uh, well just, and that was fake you plus, know what uh, i mean plus, this was this was really but aren't they but that's that's why it was easier for me to stomach roseanne because i knew it was actors was whereas actor. yeah. some of this stuff they were saying like uh the, the cruelty to the animals and stuff like how they were the, the trying to keep these these tigers these cats these supposedly supposed to be wild but if they're if they're being um kept they should be taken care of in a in a in a way of like you know that's why you see animals in a zoo like you know they're a little more well kept it seems but even then it's sort of depressing to see the animals at the zoo because you know they're being you know they're being held you know it's like yeah i mean i try i try to get too much into the moral like the morality behind it because right. the thing is is that i don't know how the in that industry works and I and, mean, and 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 the and the, the 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 documentary has a narrative that they're trying to push <laughs> so there's a lot of information that's going to be omitted uh, i know? get it and, and i'm and so and I, I just never watched it to get all of that info yeah because you know, it just didn't appeal to me it's just they see they like a lot of those people seem like just like especially him and and you know Doc whatever is Doc Antle mm -hmm. and like like a lot of these people <laughs> a lot of these people seem like not good people and they seem like they're they're um, what was the one lady Carol Baskin or whatever Carol it is? Baskin was that is that the one they always say damn yeah. damn you Carol Baskin yeah or, then they say it's the, I heard something about that like, she might have murdered her husband or something and fed him to the tiger I think that was determined to come back that she didn't I think yeah. they found him alive I think they found him yeah yeah oh, he was recent he was, development oh well was, that's that's good he oh, was yeah. he was hiding he was he was in hiding or something right. um, so that if that documentary did one thing well it brought that guy out of hiding. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was just a perfect storm. You know, that would have never gotten popular if we weren't locked in our house for two months. Like, totally. it, like so okay. much she gets put out on Netflix. I feel like that's probably why I didn't, because I didn't want to succumb to like 
oh, I got to watch this piece of crap because I have nothing else to do. That's, like, I'm going to do something more with my time. That was a know? perfect representation of where our society was <laughs> <Yeah>. mentally <laughs> at that time. We had, we. that's what we were I all feeling. things are bad now. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. This was the biggest show on television, kids, in we, 2020. Yeah, we watched <laughs> everything else on TV. That's the yeah. thing. We cleared 15 seasons yeah, of shit. But that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's how depressed we were that we thought that watching that kind of like just fucking uh that lifestyle like <laughs> yeah. just just watching that world as a as a method of entertainment that's where we were mentally that's how depressed this we were where we are as a society right now yeah Shit, it's hard. i haven't seen the Watch color this disparaging crap <laughs> two months to look be entertained tiger. by it like oh my gosh so, I, or what other unpopular opinions should, do you do you All guys? Right. Have? What's Chris's this All week? Right. Okay, um, the nicer the barbecue joint, the worse the barbecue is. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I could probably I could get behind that. Yeah, I, think I, I mean, get that's... behind that because most of the time, you're you know you're you're you know scuzzy looking mom and pop shop types of restaurants have the best it's food the best 100%. Shit, man. Like, you know and it's not be and that's the thing like they'll try to like some of these places try to spruce up there they have all this money to like put into a place but they don't have the soul and love in their food if and, uh if a barbecue spot's got a michelin star hot garbage hot <laughs> it's, garbage. it's it's bullshit well, here, here's the thing is that I, that means it's not barbecue that no. means it's some some kind of elevated thing that some chef thought was cool to put together on that's you the, know that's the thing about a lot of that kind of food right is it is that the, the the thing is that it's not supposed to be good for you or good at all? No, it's and supposed so, to be delicious. So it's supposed to be yeah, delicious, right? It's supposed to have nutritional value, of course. Well, I don't know about all that. <laughs> but. <laughs> well, that's another unpopular opinion. I don't think right? any, I don't think anybody has ever gone to a barbecue joint saying I got to really get, I gotta get my protein. The, the yeah, nutrition. I gotta get my protein. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it's like, but yeah, I would, I think I, I, I don't yeah. have too much experience with it, but the best barbecue that I've had has been like home cooked yeah. and has been like, um, you know, usually so, like if I was on the road somewhere and it was like a family was giving us food to take with us yeah. and it was like mm. that shit was, but you go to a, to a barbecue spot. Like, you know, it's it just, it, there's, there's something, there's a grit missing to it. Yeah. You go to like the best barbecue is like Terry Black's in Austin or something. And it's like mm -hmm. renowned as the best. And the, it's, well, y'all, y'all ever been, y'all ever been to pit. Jenkins? Y'all ever been to Jenkins here? Jenkins no. is like the shit too, apparently. Jenkins is actually really good. Yeah, I've heard they're like some um, of the best sauce, in Florida. Pe people actually come back to Jacksonville just to get their sauce unless they can get it shipped to them. Like, yeah. I mean, but they've been a staple here for a long time. It's it's really tough to find a solid barbecue place without having without trying it first, yeah. or at least getting like somebody to tell you you need to go check this place out. It's you know if you know somebody like if somebody like Alex Sears came up to me and said you need to go check this place out because I know he has a certain standard when it comes to barbecue cooking, smoking meat and stuff like that because of what he does at Underbelly. Underbelly is fire. Underbelly's got that's, that's but, some but smoked that's, meat right that's there. because of cats like Alex Sears yeah. who knows what they're doing back mm -hmm. there with the smoker. And I'll tell you. Um, I was talking about strings to you guys, or I think we we're off the air. We we're talking about strings, um, but my son started working at strings, um, and Ben, you know, Ben is uh, the head chef there, and they have the owners there. They have 
a smoker from Sonny's in the back mm. that they used to smoke the meats there. So when you get their smoked wings, their smoked wings, like they'll they'll smoke them for a, a few hours, and then before right before you order them, they'll drop them in some grease for about a minute to get that crisp on the outside. And those things are amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, and all, the thing that all those places have in common is that no one's trying to do it up at any of those places. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. want Underbelly is probably the one exception only because it's like a nice music venue, mm-hmm. but like. As far as, but it's still like it's a it's you know music venue, and then so it's like every other place that we mentioned is like you go there and you know what like you know that you're getting like good food like good barbecue when you go to those places. They're not yeah. it's not like fine dining or like a no. dressed up like fancy. And that's place. the thing, like when you go to get barbecue, you're not looking for fine dining. No, you're looking no. to get your hands messy because you want to pick up the ribs and get the little bit of that sauce on your fingers. You want to yeah. pick up the wings. You want to pick up the chicken. I mean, you. God it's, damn, well, it's, all that Louisiana look, just came out. Of look, hey man, if I'm going, to, if I'm going to get barbecue, I'm trying to ruin a T-shirt. So let's get absolutely third out. I mean, you know, like that one a country song. Say, I got a barbecue stain on my white T-shirt. Oh yeah, deep cut, making me something with that mini skirt, <laughs> whatever that <laughs> <Boy>. is. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, yeah, barbecue places, man. I, I if they're if they're too too like clean hoity toity, they're probably not real barbecue. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a good one, Chris. I dig it. Yeah. I actually like that. All right, so my unpopular opinion this week is more of of uh, it's more of like a thought that I had. Um, I don't know how popular it is or not. You need to stop doing that. Yeah, no, right. You know, thinking that <laughs> yeah. stuff gets you in trouble. Gets man. you in trouble. <laughs> I've lost a lot of money because of thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, so made a little bit of money doing it though. Yeah, rarely is that happening for me. Emphasis on little. <laughs> There's a. Uh, I was listening to American Pie the other day. The song. The song. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, "Holy fuck! This baseline slaps, bro! Like it's such a good baseline, and no one ever talks about it. And I'm here to tell you that it's." The only reason why I would say it's not an iconic baseline is because it's busy as shit. So it's it's hard to sink your teeth into and, and grab onto it. But if you listen to what's going on, you're like, this guy was just fucking moving, bro. Like you don't even realize well, the song is moving. Like when the, when you first get to hear, when the song first comes in, it's you know I forgot who played piano. It's, it's 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 broken down when he first comes yeah, in yeah. and it's like dynamics and then when he he kicks in with the you know he can sing with the oh, yeah. well, like that's the, it's moving yeah because the bass, the bass player is driving it bro. <laughs> yeah it's, and, it's, and i never really like broke that down to think about the bass line but now that you mention it it's like it's just yeah. it's a it's 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 an it's an advanced walking bass line it's not like he's just moving he's not he's just going playing doom, lines doom, no doom. no he's yeah he's he's, he's, he's yeah. playing lines like now that i think about it, and that's and it's so subtle in the recording yeah but the way the song moves like uh yeah wow i never even thought about that that's yeah i'm i forget what his name is rob stoner that's what it is rob stoner this guy's played on so many records of that era but like I this bet he has but like just uh, i just i don't know why i mean i know why it took me by surprise because you listen to that tune and you never pay attention to anything but the lyrics right it's a catchy hook and all that's a great song but I was just like, let me see, let me just tune out for a second and see what the bass player is doing. And I started listening. I was like, oh god damn, bro, this is fucking wild. A lot of that seventies tracks. A lot of that seventies stuff, man. The bass. Is, I mean, it's, it's not that it's under. It's not that it's 
underrated or not talked about enough. It's just that I think so much of our generation, I think we're so far removed from it now that that it's important as musicians that are not from that time to go back and just listen again to what those guys were like why people talked about it so much because you have to think about even though it's not think about them playing that live with that bass line how nasty that might have been live and and also exactly and then also think about like there's for them there was no reference point this they were inventing this style like rock and roll folk music i mean folk music oh, yeah. but but like but it was it was it was the the marrying of 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 these genres and it was a new thing of that time. like rock and roll especially being oh, yeah. it was only was 20 years old at that time that's true you know and then you have the 70s and the british rock thing and and like the, just this 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 integration of these different styles of music like there was no there was no reference point for that and there time. was also the the technology of multi-tracking that started in the 70s yeah that's why musicians were able to like really break down their mix so they wouldn't because in the 60s you remember like uh, the motown era and uh the doo-wop era and like the 50s and all that like all right we got to do it in one take with everybody playing it live and then you know and then they cut you know and then the band would do several takes full takes of full songs full instrumentation you know and then when they get it in the 70s it was like holy crap you can do it track play it track. back you could play it back and it's funny because the the movie ray uh they they kind of showed that in the movie ray where he got in a little argument with his with his girls because uh the girls um one of the girls was drunk i think like margie was drunk or something and uh and they he kicked them all out of the studio and he sang all their parts uh without them yeah like because he because they showed him that day in that in that studio actual studio uh recording they showed him like you know that where they showed him he could play it back and go back over you can overdub and it was just like and he was like whoa nelly and then like it showed margie like make fun of him because she's drunk and then he kicks him out and then Henry kicks him out he's like well no let's just run it you know we got we got the studio time you know i'll do it and then he was you know singing they showed him singing each each part <laughs> And it's like, you couldn't even tell that that was Ray's voice on the recording. It sounds like the girls. Right, but right. Like, wow. Like that's that's where technology sort of in the studio started making it easier for artists to put their takes the way they wanted yeah, to sound. To, yeah, to fully, to fully explore and execute their ideas creatively, you know? And it's like... And just while you know, I was listening to to some Crosby, Stills and Nash the other day too, oh. and I was just like, I'm listening to some of the bass lines again, like mm-hmm. just just first off, just super repetitive, and just sit there and just play the same thing over and over again, like perfectly executed like that. You're just like, God, that takes such discipline. Yes. And then again, thinking about it like in the way where what was their reference point to to play th- this right. way over this kind of music? Or it who was hold them to do that or did they come up with that exactly it's like it's like it's like to exactly it's they were they were it's literal you know it's they're the pioneers of 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 that of this kind of music and and i think that um a lot of times 
we forget because we go back and we listen, you know, with all the advancement in music today, and especially the boundaries that have been pushed through jazz and fusion and the marriage of rock and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It just, it gets so, so advanced, you know, and we forget, like we go back and listen to, to like music of the sixties and seventies and we're like, yeah, it's cool, but it's not this. It's like, well, yeah, it's not that man. But, but these guys but had all this the way for this. It paved the way for all this. <laughs> like these guys all ha do what they do because this was, th this was, the the trail that was blazed for them mm -hmm. all right you know this would this was the template and then they took the template and they added a little something to it or that maybe they took something from that template and then you know applied it to whatever brand of music that they're trying to do exactly and i, I feel like genres started started to merge in in the 70s and then when the 80s came along it was like what is this crap? Because there's a lot of electronic I, stuff coming. Terrible. Yeah, genres just were like, eliminated. Oh, there's in the a 80s. there's an unpopular opinion. It, I, the '80s was this terrible music. I talk like, about it a lot on this oh. show. Actually, I hate the '80s. Come on, man. Um, there was there's a lot of good that came out of the '80s. I, I know that there is some of my favorite artists are from that era, mm -hmm. but I'm just saying that there's a lot more that I hate than what I love. Uh, so you're not a big Depeche Mode fan, I take not it. Not at all. Um. We gotta wrap this up because I hear them setting up next door. Is it's about to get real oh, fucking. It's about loud to get Metallica eyes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, Jeremy, thank you for being with us today, man. This is appreciate y'all having me, man. Absolutely, yeah. it was a good hang. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it again for sure. Absolutely. Um, Maybe without microphones next time, we'll just hang out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have to monetize all of our conversations oh, okay. now. We, all right. Everybody. From now on, from now on, that's where we're going. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you.